Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Down the blind, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle and won. G'day guys, it has been a hectic few months at Guru Headquarters. Obviously with the podcast, we've been putting out, you know, six to eight podcasts each and every day during the week, a couple on the weekend as well. Uh, the page, it has been flying a heap of posts each and every day, a lot of interactive posts, a lot of new video content as well, which has taken uh, up quite a bit of time, but it's fantastic new content to be putting out there. Obviously the season kicked off four or five weeks ago, so it has just been chaotic as all hell. Add on the merchandise on top of that. It's been a very busy period. So this weekend, I've just put all the podcast gear down i'll still be updating things on the uh on the instagram page but the uh podcast is having a weekend off i'm going down the south coast to enjoy myself for a few days take the missus down there so not much content coming out this weekend i will have this interview and then i'll be back behind the mic on monday afternoon to talk everything from the round of footy that has gone past us uh but i just thought i'd put this interview out there for people that want to listen to something this morning saturday morning uh with peter o'sullivan now Peter O'Sullivan, he is, of course, the recruitment manager for the New Zealand Warriors. When I did this interview, it was at the end of last season, end of 2020, which was by far and away the most chaotic season of rugby league all time with COVID and whatnot. And of course, for the New Zealand Warriors, they are in a tougher boat than anyone. So a really interesting chat with Peter O'Sullivan here. And of course, if you don't know who Sully is, he's been a recruitment guru for a number of years. He's the guy that found fellows like Latrell Mitchell, Israel Folau, Roger Tuovasa-Shek as teenagers and brought them to the respective clubs that he was at at the time. So a guy that has a brilliant eye for rugby league talent, a champion fella, and he's done fantastic things over there at the Warriors. All the new recruits you've seen walk into that building. Unfortunately, a lot of them are injured now, but a lot of the guys that have walked in there, whether it be you and Aitken, Adam Fanula, Blake, Kane Evans, these sort of fellas, Peter O'Sullivan, he's been the man that's brought all these guys there. A champion of rugby league with a rich history in our game as well. Enjoy this podcast. I'll see you on Monday. Welcome on, Pete. How are we, mate? Good, Nathan. Uh, thanks for having me on board. I imagine it's been a wild year for you over there at the uh, New Zealand Warriors. It's, it's, it's been eventful, that's for sure. So there was days there in the amongst the last five or six months where it was just something came up every day, which was extremely challenging at times. Um, from some some people, some things that are public and some that are not. Um, so yeah, it was it was really difficult, but was also probably one of the more uh, satisfying years I've had in footy as well. So so while it had severe disadvantages for a lot of people in terms of the travel and being, uh, or lack of travel that we had to do and et cetera, et cetera, and being you know, in close proximity, the, the benefits we got that for, especially the young players that had no distractions around them and could improve. So there was actually at a big advantage when everyone thought we were at a big disadvantage in some ways, well, all the obvious disadvantage as well for everyone to see. Mate, I imagine for some of the older blokes with families and whatnot back home, it would have been pretty tough. But if you're a young bloke, you know, and you're single and you're over there with all the boys, I imagine it would have been a great time. Yeah, yeah. I remember early days when we got to Tamworth, uh, 
Steve and I took all the young fellas into a, into a room and basically sort of said, if you're a young fella, you've now got, you know, five months ahead of you where you've got no distractions, no family distractions, no friends trying to get you out on a drink and, and you know, run, run, run amok with you. You're just here focused on your footy. You've got, you know, leaders like Blairy and you've got the access to the full coaching staff. So if you don't come out of this bit a better player at the other end, um, you know, it's your fault. So, and to their credit, every one of those players, most of them in that room played uh, at, at, at the stage of the year. Uh, Rocco didn't play because he had a stress fracture in his back, but he definitely would have played Rocco Berry if um, if he hadn't had that essence. You know, Tommy Ali, Wets ended up, a, Adam Pompey ended up a bona fide first grader by the end of the year, which was really satisfying for us. You know, Tom Ali uh, trained, uh, played, Paulie Turner played, so... Yeah, we got some access to those boys and, you know, they're further down the track than perhaps they would have been if they played a full year of New South Wales Cup. Mate, I think the one that uh, he got the most benefit out this year has definitely been um, Chanel Harris-Tavita. He's just gone to a new level this year. Yeah, Chanel was in a different boat. You know, he played a good bit of first grade before that. But, um, you know, part of the decision-making process about letting Greeny, Greeny head off was the fact that, you know, Chanel to play so we knew one whether he was he was the man for the job come uh, round one next year we yeah uh, we all believed it but he's also another seven or eight games down the track where it's now his footy team and or his and Cody's footy team so that's so they're far more ready to play next year and that was obviously while well, we wanted to make the semis and that was our you know our team goal club goal but um you know the you know Realistically, you know, it was it was about getting ready for next year, mate. You just mentioned Blake Green. Obviously, Greeny. You had Stephen Kearney leave during you know this time. You've been in the bubble. It's a lot of experience to leave the building. It's blown me away how well the team has handled all that. Yeah, no, they they as I said, there was weeks there and months there where it just day by day something sort of exploded. You know, whether it was in the media or you know a little comment here and there that that sort of all took some some hosing down but at the end of the day all those all those things were for the betterment of the footy club so uh, you know there was nothing that the boys didn't cope with or the staff didn't cope with you know our, our footy manager did an amazing job Daniel Floyd about you know keeping people focused and um, you know I, I doubt whether we could have got through the, the period without him he was he was phenomenal and you know the coaches all did an amazing job so the coaching staff in general Toddy Payton takes over and he's just done incredible things this year. Tell me about the sort of bloke Todd Payton is. Yeah, Toddy's he's quite a reserved character. Pretty, pretty, um, you know, one ABC in his beliefs on his footy. Um, they changed roles when we did it and uh, Justin Morgan came in from transition coach and then headed up the D and that was our massive area and really brought some accountability into the group with their D and the boys enjoyed that. He's a, he was very different voice to what they'd had in the past. Um, you know, more more in your face or, you know, blatant, honest, I guess. Uh, he was great for the group. He, he had a massive impact on our group and our performances. And Toddy stayed to the D side as well. And while he looked over the, the overall thing and then Stace and Tony did the, did the offense. And again, they were probably a little bit more relaxed in their, in their methods. So, you know, it, it worked, you know, so, so you know, it was a matter of we're here, let's get on with it. And that's what they did, you know. And, you know, I think the point where, you know, we're, our squad was, you know, basically in different parts of the media was really canned about the, the you know, the you know, the quality of it. So I think in time, you know, some people sort of had to take a bit of a gulp and think, oh, there's actually some pretty good players there. So, so that was nice to see them get their opportunity, take it. And now they're on their way to becoming regular first graders. Speaking of handy players, mate, of course, your captain this year, he's been sensational. Unfortunately, he was injured last week, didn't get to play in that last game. But tell me the impact that Rogers had this year. He's, he's, he's just a great guy. You know, he's just a wonderful person, you know. So lucky enough to meet Roger when he was 18 and, and came over to, to the Roosters. And, you know, he's been a quality human being from that day and to, to, the, to the next. You know, he, he could have bailed at any time he wanted, but, you know, he was... You know, he was going nowhere. So he's uh, just an, he's an amazing person. Great trainer. Absolutely. You know, wonderful person to have around. You know, he had his challenges. And, 
I think he's probably foot in towards the end got better, and that was probably a little bit of a could see the could see the end of the rainbow, so to speak. So, and again, you know, they working hard on his game individually. So, while he's he's clearly regarded probably the best yardage player in the game, you know, he's still got some areas where he needs to improve on, and you know, to get us where we want to go. And you know, he works extremely hard at all those areas of the game as well. So. Um, Great person, you know, great character, great club man. Uh, I think it's the first year this year where he didn't win the, uh, the big gong this year, but, you know, he, he was exceptional. Mate, before we dive in on your playing career and your coaching career and everything, the last guy I want to ask you about, he's a good mate of yours, Nathan Brown. He's arriving next year. Tell me about Brownie. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've been good mates for, for a long time. I coached Nathan at Saints back in the mid-'90s. Um, and, you know, we always got on really well, probably had similar, um, you know, philosophies on the game. Um, his mentor and my mentor was a fellow called Max Ninnis, or one of my mentors, a fellow called Max Ninnis. I don't know if you know Max, but he was Brian Smith's right-hand man uh, for all his time at Illawarra and St. George. And then he sort of became Wadey's right-hand man at St. George, and he became Brownie's uh, sidekick. So in the early days, Max was sort of assistant coach recruitment, you know, senior, junior, did everything. And he had an incredible footy mind. And a lot of the stuff that happens now in terms of, you know, the, you're talking about the early catch and the skills and the thumbs and the grip and all that, that come from Maxi back in the old days. So, so yeah, he was a great mentor so, to both of us. So we probably had a little common, you know, common um, mentor that, that tied us together. And uh, then when, you know, we stayed in contact when I went to Melbourne, he went to St. George and actually probably got closest when he was in England to be fair. And then uh, when he came back, you know, we, yeah, we stayed pretty close and, you know, I've actually never worked with him. So, you know, I'm looking forward to working with him uh, for the first time, but it's always been a, probably a bit of a, you know, common goal that, that someday we might get to work together. So we'll see how we go. Mate, it's very exciting time for the Warriors. I can't wait to see them next year. You've obviously added a few guys as well. You and Aitken, Adam Fanua Blake, Kane Evans. It's mate, it's looking really positive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah, Ben Murdoch Masilla is a really, really important piece of that puzzle. So between the four of them, what we were looking for, you know, we as the squad wasn't particularly well balanced, um, and it takes time to change a roster. You know, it took five years to get the roster right, hundred percent right at the Roosters, and probably about the similar time at Melbourne. You know, hopefully we can get this done a little quicker here because this will be sort of two and a half years now that you know, we can get it right and through, you know by the start of next year and then even better at the start of 2022 so so it's it's on its way still some tinkering to do but um yeah we're we're in decent shape and we've got a foundation that all the boys this year have have set for us to to build on so um yeah it's 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 really really exciting you know I've probably been excited about this time yeah, my footy life as, as any other time before. Mate, I guess with the Warriors, you know, people always talk about, you know, the big forward pack and, you know, but like in reality, in my opinion, the Warriors, they've been missing an Adam Fanua Blake for a few years. You must be really excited about his signature. Oh, mate, we've been small. You know, I see some of the comments from different people in the media saying, oh, they're big, they're athletic. We just weren't, yep. you know. So, you know, these these people that are coming in there, they are big and athletic men, you know, the more the Warriors DNA, so to speak, you know, so, you know, went back uh, when I, I got excited to come, um, had a couple of choices, you know, but I thought this was, this was the Holy Grail basically. So it was a really exciting time for me. I'd never worked in an environment where you had, you know, a choice of some juniors or, you know, where you could go after a homegrown sort of products. And, and, you know, this was, that was always the, the goal for me and, you know, squad balance didn't reflect that you know so you know we were very similar shaped and size all very good players but all very similar shapes and size very similar um, qualities that they had in their footy and so the balance of the pack just wasn't there so hopefully we've rectified that and and uh, you know you see you know well obviously as you said Kane Ben and um, uh, young Ellie come through you know combined with the boys we got there you know that's a big team you know so so now we can, where we're sort of hanging on for dear life, we're on the back foot at times. Hopefully those boys can get us on the front foot and, uh, you know, be more warrior, warrior-like, I guess. 
Mate, I imagine having a nursery like New Zealand for you as a recruitment manager, it must be fantastic. But I imagine it would have its challenges. Obviously, you know, you've got Rugby Union over there. You've got, I imagine, every single club over here would have someone in New Zealand keeping an eye on talent. How do you deal yeah. with all that? Um, yeah, well, I mean, every club's very active. Um, you know, they, the people talk about us having the, the whole country to pick from. Well, that's just, that's fallacy, you know. So 90% of them play rugby and want to be all blacks. Um and, you know, we've got 16 clubs fighting for the, you know, similar kids. So, so we, you know, we have to create an environment that makes the Warriors a, you know, choice, you know, so a priority choice. So, you know, it probably hasn't been the case. You know, Brian, Brian came in and he set up some, some areas of our development that have been really good, you know, bringing in 15, 16s. We brought in an SG ball, which was highly important to our future and, Move the focus from 20s to 18 and move the 20s on. And um, that was going to be a big thing. And then and then COVID-19 hit. So it's put all those things into, into you know, certainly post, postponed or in jeopardy. So, you know, just with the costs involved and et cetera, et cetera. And so it's been a real, you know, disruption to, to where we wanted to head. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, rugby is still the principal place that we're, that we'll target, you know, so Ellie came from from rugby at Tamiki College and, you know, Rocco Berry's come from area and we've got another couple of boys coming in. Hopefully you'll hear plenty about in the next year or two. So, you know, I'm quite excited about them. So, yeah, rugby's still our, a big target area and obviously the local league still produces some high-quality players. So hopefully we're not going to keep them all, but hopefully we keep a good majority of those great kids coming through. And as, as I said, uh, we've got a fair few underneath that still haven't been seen. So so uh, hopefully we can get some footy into them in the next year or two and develop them so that we can you know, make genuine genuine homegrown products, you know, because that's what works. And I imagine for every one Ellie Katoa that you get over, there must be a hundred other blokes that it must be near impossible to convince them to leave Union. It's it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. You know, like you've got to be, you've got to be upfront. Money, money does it, you know. So, yeah. you know, rugby at that end of the spectrum uh, they're they're very paltry. Uh, they pay very small. Where we've got to get the kids, I think, can go take them from straight there into a full time environment. So then they're obviously going on to development wage, which is sixty k, and that blows that blows rugby out of the water. You know, um, so they just don't have that sort of funds to 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 compete with that area. You know, but having said that, you know. I, I've been down and off young kid from Christchurch, you know, offered him, you know, 60, 100, 140. I think the, and, the, you know, the Crusaders offered him five and he stayed, you know, so. Wow. So it's, you know, it's still a battle because, you know, they grow up, they want to be, uh, he, was, he was as aligned to, to the Crusaders, to Christchurch, you know, as much as the All Blacks, to be honest, you know, so to fight that you know, the deception that they've grown up with, you know, it's, it's a great thing they've got, you know, so as I said, we need to make the Warriors come to that sort of, you know, see, we're never going to reach an all black status, but we have a, have a, a culture where people aspire to go in there that makes that more, more accessible. And then, you know, as I said, the obvious thing is money, you know, so, so a young fella coming up, you know, you know Ellie might've got offered a couple of K from the blues, you know, so, you know, it's uh it's a decision that you know. Obviously, money's part of that decision. So, so it's a, it's a it's a focus, and and then obviously we get you know trying to get good people, you know. And I guarantee you won't meet a better, meet a better kid than Elias Akintola. Well, mate, I'll offer you absolute duck eggs, but if you come knocking at my door with 140k, I promise I'll play for you. Jesus, indeed. You know, one of the things as I talked about Rocco Berry. You wouldn't have heard of him before. You know, he's only played one. Uh, Reserve grade game this year, you know, his his dad was an All Black, you know, so so to break that cycle was uh, another sort of step in the right direction. So so we are, you know, we're certainly making ground there, and they know we're around, so which is a good thing. Peter, take me back to the start of your rugby league career. What's your earliest memory of footy? Um, yeah, the playing career won't take long. I wouldn't have thought. So no, I was a Penrith RSL junior. So it's just uh, young Matt Dufty. Now playing at Saints, he's a junior. So we had some really, really good players come through and a year older in my sort of group. So pretty, probably the best club in the St. George area. So I yeah, played from when I was a baby, you know, from when I was five or six to through to the junior reps at Saints and the flag and ball and 
mats and all that sort of business and President's Cup and through to, to lower grades uh, in the mid 80s. Uh, had a year at Balmain and basically finished when I was 23. Had a little bit of hit and giggle with my mates after that, but uh, then started sort of coaching late 20s, which I think probably as a player, I think I was probably always destined to be a, a coach, I would have thought. So um, probably didn't train hard enough as a player or to reach what I probably should have reached or or hard enough. Um, so probably not tough enough either, to be honest. So What position were you? 5'8 uh, lock, basically. Yep. So yeah, a bit, of a, bit of a full player. Probably ended up at full crack when I lost, lost a few yards and put on a couple of kgs maybe. So. Fuck, I've been there. Yes, indeed. So, uh, we, had a, we had a great crew. Um, a junior team, uh, like Flanner, played in that team, come over from Kingsgrove Colts, a fellow called Greg DeVal. He was one of my best mates. He, you know, played first grade at Saints and West. Chris Johns was come through that area, that era. You know, and we had some blokes in the old grades with Glenn Burgess and Cole Fraser, and yeah, some really, really quality players that played. You know, obviously Johnsy went on to play for Australia, so he ended up with the best CV. So yeah, we, had a, we had a great crew, and it was really that period was really important. It sort of taught us how to win. Um, you know, you know, when I'm recruiting players, you know, I really look for players who won comps and. Massive believer in, you know, you know, you look at the Penrith scenario now where they won at 20s and uh, at the Roosters, we beat them in the 18s grand final. We won a few 18s grand finals. I'm a massive believer in that. Bringing in people who know how to win, what it looks like is in the common term, you know, as the common terms, you know, what that looks like, what it feels like. And you know, they get used to winning, you know, and that's one of the reasons Kane's, Kane's coming because, you know, he came through systems that won, you know, and he, Stands that wants to do it, and it's a it's a big factor, you know. In uh, certainly a big factor in Penrith, and it's a big factor in in getting successful teams in first grade. Tell me, mate, when did you first get into the um, recruiting department? I started coaching at Saints in the nineties, and so uh, I coached um, SG Ball, and uh, we did well, made the semis. Um, the next year, I think it was 94 or 95. I started there in 94 and coached in 95 and 96. Coached the flag and we won that with a great crop of, crop of young men. So one of my you know, dearest you know, friends and you know, that I stay in contact with now, we had a couple of really good kids in that, in that team. Um, Kane and Stephen Price and Adam Peake amongst a whole crew of people you know, who have gone on to be you know, successful in their life, you know, and a lot of other fellas, you know, that, you know, I met a, you know, met a fellow a few months or a year or so ago, you know, that end up running his own business. So that whole sort of crew, you know, with the discipline and what we created there, the, I think it's part of that was being really successful in their lives, not just, not just the footy kids. It really, it was a really enjoyable year. And I went full time from 96 on. And those days we had, um, uh, well, we had four people full time in the footy department. There was Wadey, uh, Max, myself, and Peter McDonald, who was the head strength and conditioner. So, you know, those days I was reserve grade coach, you know, or, or flag coach, assistant coach in first grade in the off-season, you know, ordered the sandwiches, ordered the buses, you know, footy manager, you know, recruitment, you know, between myself and Max, we just, you just got it done, you know. So they were big jobs and, a great learning curve as well, you know. So obviously I came in, I had Smithy as head coach, then Wadey and Max. Uh, so it was a good learning curve for me through that period. And then um, when Saints and Illawarra merged in, uh, was it, you know, 99, um, basically lost out half my job. So there was obviously two sets of coaches and I went sort of, you know, I think a couple of pay in half and I was, um, you know, delivering orange juice and, three o'clock in the morning working in pubs or you know, two o'clock in the morning and to get to training by sort of in the afternoon and used to drive a whole crew of players from St George down to Wollongong train. I'd get home at 10 at night and yeah, with two little kids. So it wasn't, it wasn't a great lifestyle. Um, I remember falling asleep in the van one night when I was driving it, uh, coming home from Cogra and I just sort of went boom, boom and hit the clips and I went, oh, boom. And uh, I'd had the offer from, uh, Melbourne to go there as recruitment through 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 Chris Johns. As I said, we were, we were good mates growing up together, and and uh, yeah, when I hit those little little bumps on the side of the road, I said it's time. Does that's yeah. a story far out? It was, and there was I think uh, we got Eddie Ross and 
Scotty Geddes and the whole crew of those kids that were playing flag in my team at that stage, Amos Roberts, that turned around and said, you know, uh, no, that was that was too big a too big an ask. So, so I took the job in Melbourne the next day, and yeah, basically went from there. So, found my little niche that you know I loved, and you know I needed to finish coaching. I probably when I finished coaching, I probably realised how much I needed to get away from it. And as I said, just found my little niche that I say goods worked. Mate, you certainly found your little niche. I mean, I'm looking at some of the names in Melbourne. You you discovered Greg Inglis, Israel Folau, Billy Slater. Tell me about GI first, mate. Um, yeah, yeah, Greg was uh, Greg was someone who sort of at fifteen didn't really come under the radar of too many people. So these days, you know, the Bronx were really hard to beat. Para was hard to beat, and trying to get somebody to go to Melbourne in those days was nigh on impossible. It was really tough work, you know. So uh, Mark Murray was in charge at that stage, um, and you know, Melbourne, you know, you probably wouldn't remember, but even back. In those days, you know, the media were crying for Melbourne to be kicked out of the comp and yep. things were on the slide pretty quick after 99. So it was it was tough going, you know. So, so we basically just, I just sort of decided we had to work harder, quicker and younger and to get some elite kids. And, you know, I just went to a pretty obscure game at, at Port Macquarie and, and Greg was there and I sat behind the post. And, you know, when he started sort of drifting around the field, he was, you know, peachy-like, I guess, at that stage, you know, we're... Probably didn't end up like that, but he certainly was at that age. And obviously, played a lot of touch footy. And he tipped over the top, and I was sitting right behind the post. And he went up to catch the ball. And as he put his hand up, he had to pull it under to miss the crossbar and caught it and put it under the post. That'll do me. And um, flew up the next week, signed him with his uh, with his dad and his grandmother and mum. And and yeah, it was it was a funny funny meeting. You know, it was sort of sitting there giving the spiel about how we'll make you a better person. And and I just looked over about halfway through and I said, these buggers aren't listening at all, you know. So I made a bag of kit, bag of kit for him and put the kid over. I said, what do you think? He said, I'll sign. <laughs> so that was it. So he signed that day and um, no manager chased him at that stage through the rep carnivals. Uh, you know, he sort of went up under the radar. And then I think, I think Alan Ganey signed him the next year at 16. He had a tie up with Preston and, and signed him then, and then he started to he just started to show what he could, what he was capable of, and you know. So then everybody was was on the bandwagon. So, but yeah, he's a special player, special talent. You know, definitely the best athlete I've ever come across in in my in, in terms of what who I've brought to the footy clubs. You know, mate. Obviously, when he debuted, you know, everyone knew he was going to be a superstar. Then, when was the moment that you thought, "Fuck, like I've nailed this." Um, probably, yeah, at 16, he was starting to do some pretty special things, but he was pretty blasé with everything. He was, he was living in a Kirinara at uh, Newcastle, going to uh, Hunter Sports. Uh, we got him out of there and set him up with a good, good family up at uh, Brizzy and put him in that system. Then we went to Wavell, you know, I was always, I was very confident that when he hit the ground at Wavell and got some better support around him and, um, some coaching and some, you know, you know, probably a different level of footy than what he's been playing. And, you know, it was pretty, pretty evident that year. I remember a, a game in the Queensland trials. He bounced park at Rocky. He picked up the ball, and I think one of the other scouts said to me, "Do you think he's going to be big enough?" You know, because <laughs> he was a skinny kid, and he picked up the ball in the bottom, uh, like right his right hand corner, went all the way across to the left. And doing that all the way and down the sideline and back of the post to the under end. I remember turning, I think it'd be okay. You know, so so that year really he you know, he blossomed and then the year after, you know, he's playing Q Cup against men, you know, and and I remember he played um I think I can't remember whether it was eight games that year or nine games of, of Q Cup and you know, they rang up and said he's got to come up for the awards. We said, We're not flying him up for the awards, like Played eight or nine games. He said, "No, no, he's got to come." And so I think he, if he played nine games, he had twenty-seven points. You know, so so it was yeah that year against Man, he was he was phenomenal. Yeah. Mate, I was talking to a mate yesterday. He's a South Sydney Rabbitohs fan. I said I was talking to you, and he said to say thank you because he said he's the guy that discovered Inglis, and he arrived at South Sydney. He ended our drought. His career was just incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, amazing player. You know, great a great guy. You know, he obviously, you know. He had different stages, you know, where he, you know, in terms of, 
you know, going through some personal things. But as a young fellow in training, you know, it wasn't natural to him. You know, uh, I remember he, we took him down to Melbourne for training camps and Craig flogged him. You know, he found out about him pretty quick, you know, and he pulled out of a pulled out of the, you know, his first session with a crook back, you know, the kid was six foot four and probably, you know, 65 kilos, you know, at that stage and, you know, doing first grade training, you know, so, and he pulled out and, you know, when Craig walked past, you know, that'd be any good to me, Peter. I said, you just stick to coaching. I'll worry about this, this side of it. So, so, yeah, so he was the way, you know, things didn't all fall into place as well. So he had to work hard to get there. And as I said, that year at, Brisbane North and, and Wavell was a uh, yeah, real turning point for him and his life. And as I said, he went on to win lots of comps and do everything in the game. You know, so very proud of him. Mate, obviously 2007 was a massive year for GI, obviously, but another guy comes along that year, Israel Folau, who you had a big hand in. Tell me about yep. how you found him. Um, yeah, it was pretty pretty similar, I guess. We were at Toowoomba at the uh, uh, Queensland Championship, State Championship. Championships and um, that was I remember I met Isaac Moses for the first day that year. I mean, he was walking around and the manager at those carnivals pretty much stand out like sore thumbs, you know. So they have got the pants on, a nice shirt and shoes, and the Toowoomba. It's uh, you know they stand out. And I just sort of walked up and I said, "Oh, your new manager felt, mate." And he said, "Yeah, yeah." I just, Isaac met him and I said, "Oh, look, I'd." Um, you need a hand on, you know, what I want, what I'm looking for. And, you know, you need a hand with, you know, what I think works in footy players, you know, give us a yell and we'll, you know, have a chat. And he seemed a really nice young man as he was. And, um, and I said, we're watching Med East game. And I said, have you got anyone at the carnival? And he said, oh, I've got this big fella on the wing. I went, ooh. I said, so my mind started thinking, I mean, ow, this bloke does know what he's doing here, so... So, yeah, n- nobody had put their hand up at, at that stage and the Bronx weren't that keen. So, so I said, well, maybe we could do a deal here, mate. So so we signed him that day for yeah, probably the same as what we signed Greg, 500 bucks and, you know, a four-year four, four year deal. And, you know, and he just went from – he scored four tries in that game, by the way. And um, just uh, he went strength for strength, you know. And I said Greg was the best player I'd ever sort of recruited. I've got no doubt that – is he was the most ready play, like the most professional. You know, that you, know, you just put him in first grade, you knew he was just going to handle it. You know, so we played him in a first grade trial when he was sixteen against Parrot Griffith, broke Matt Peterson's ribs. You know, in a tackle. You know, so yeah, he, you know, by the way, he wouldn't be allowed to play nowadays. You know, so so yeah, it was he was phenomenal. You know, he started the year in 07, leading try scorer, won a comp, played for Australia. Uh, yeah, not a bad first year, first grade. Mate, the last of the Melbourne Storm boys I want to ask you about is Billy Slater. I didn't find Bill, as per se. So Bill walked in the door uh, asking for a job. His, his uncle worked at North Leagues. Um, so, yeah, he just walked in off the street. He was at the Storm before I got there. Uh, I was lucky enough to do his first contract. So I just sort of started. And, and um, he's, you know, he ran out of puff really early, Bill. He had lots of... A uh, fair, fair few errors around him early early doors, but yeah, you know I've never seen anyone work as hard as he worked to come back. And you know he had some stages where he was sort of going, you know, going great and drop off a little bit. And then he just came back and he was just, you know, what off season it was. But he just came back at a whole new level of player and worked so hard. And he, you know, I mean there was probably a couple of fullback fullbacks before him that sort of started to change the fullback role. You know, Brett Hodgson was one certainly. That, uh, that comes to mind and, you know, Bill came along and took it to a whole new level, you know, pr- without doubt one of the best players I've ever, I've come across incredible player. Mate, tell me about your interactions with Craig Bellamy. Like I've I, I read a few articles and seen a few interviews with you and you talk about how important the relationship is between the recruitment manager and the coach. Tell me about yeah. that relationship. Yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, again, early days, you know, there was just sort of belly aching one assistant. So, so now they've got a cast of thousands of those fellas to help them. So their time's probably a little bit more available, you know. So there's, you know, there's a big trust involved, you know. So I think from a recruiter, you need to know what works for your first grade coach. Obviously, good players are good players. They're going to work for any coach. But, you know, what, you know, what made Craig tick and a lot of what made Craig tick was people who were like himself as a player, you know, hardworking, tough, durable, you know, 
Um, so there was he wanted a level of that player in his footy team. And then obviously I, I like the athletic type. So, so you know, but there's, there's a level of trust certainly there. And, you know, he's got to know without worrying too much about it that he's going to have good players coming through. So he's got to trust me. And, and obviously it doesn't matter what I do as a recruiter if they're not being well coached, you know. So, so Craig's, you know, Craig's the greatest coach in, in the game that I've certainly had to work with, you know. When I've worked with some damn good ones and they're all been very good but you know he's just a phenomenal coach with a phenomenal work ethic and we had a we had a great relationship so you know we we're very forthright and honest with each other we'd had, certainly had some good barneys and you know and he'd tell me how it was and tell it back and then we'd sort of walk out and get on with it so mate tell me how did the uh, salary cap scandal affect your career um not not a great deal to be honest um yeah it was i'm not going to go into too much detail but you know the the 07 part was quite minuscule in in my reckoning um there was some stuff that went back that went back to the 2000s which i had nothing to do with or anybody in that area had nothing to do with and then there was sort of a i suppose a miscommunication between the nrl and and uh our ceo at the time that sort of you know escalated things a little bit but yeah, it was it was it was small. I I stopped working halfway through two thousand seven. Uh, they put Mel put a bit of pressure on me to re-sign, and I was going to the Roosters. Um, uh, my kids are in Sydney, so I was missing out on a fair bit of their life. So 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 from halfway through seven, I didn't had very little control over things, and I just stayed and gave Billy like a bit of a hand, and you know I was pretty confident we were going to win the comp that year. So I certainly won to be a part of that before I left and yeah so obviously there was no change and then I remember when it hit probably 2010 when the actual thing hit so uh, you know the roosters were great through that time for me you know I guess it's the perception of people Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People that, you know, sort of is the, you know, the downside of it, you know, sort of, you know, kids go through a bit of, a bit of hurry curry, you know, like you know, you're sort of on the front page of a paper as a as a rat that doesn't really go down too well. And you know, you know, I remember my daughter getting asked um, if you know I got, that I thought I was a drug dealer and you know, just ridiculous things like that. So, so yeah, it was it was a tough period, but you know, it blew over reasonably quickly. And, and you know, and I think well, I don't think the real story's ever come through 100%. So maybe it will one day. But yeah. It, it certainly wasn't wasn't pleasant, but you know, very grateful for the Roosters through that period that you know, Nick had my back, and uh, it was yeah. Again, through those periods, you learn uh, who your mates are and and who you, who aren't. So that was uh, yeah, it was it was eye opener as well. Mate, you mentioned how good the Roosters were to you during that period. Obviously, your next move is there, and. I remember playing touch football down at Queen's Park one day and there was this kid bouncing around there and, you know, his name started to whisper around this Roger Tuivasa Sheck and they said, oh, this kid from New Zealand, they've pulled him over and he was just amazing from the moment he arrived. Tell me about Roger. He was, yeah. I remember went over to the uh, New Zealand school carnival and um, I was one of the Warriors scouts was there and sort of sidled up next to me and sort of said, oh, we've got the... We've got the number three in this team. He said he's the best player at the carnival, you know, and I was, uh, I watched the game for about five or ten minutes and uh, I turned to him and said, mate, he ain't even the best player in this team. And I sort of walked away, you know, and Roger was playing fullback in that team, you know, and so I was pretty focused from that first beat I saw him, you know, so, he, you know, the footwork and I'm just, you know, yeah, I think he had pink boots on that day, so pretty easy to pick up. So, um, yeah, so we quickly got a relationship with him and sort of, you know, one of those things that, you know, I like doing as I think most clubs are doing now, you know, you back yourself then, not too many clubs would do it in those days to put an offer on the table that gone straight, basically straight to first grade or certainly first grade in their second year. 
sort of blew most of the teams out of the water. Back yourself that, yes, it's very, it looks very expensive at the start, but by the time you get to year or two, three, it's probably half, the value of the contract's probably half what it should be. So, so we backed ourselves and, yeah, you come along and as a champion kid and amazing player and played 20s for most of that year and got his last couple of games in first grade. And I think he, he stood uh, Brett or Josh Morris on their ears down the bottom corner at SFX and uh, SFS and everyone was, oh, you know, so he was, uh, yeah, just phenomenal player, great person and, it was probably really tough when he when he left the Roosters. That was a, that was certainly a tough day in my career. Mate, obviously to be able to win premierships, you need you need guys that are on a lower pay packet to play well above that. In and in 2013 for the Roosters, Roger was really that guy, wasn't he? We had a whole host of them that year, mate. To be honest, so um, those days, you know, cap cap management's changed. It was the second tier. Yeah, you know, Isaac Liu played 13 games that year on 15k. You know, so. So and we yeah we would love to have given you some more money but you know, I think it was two fifty k was the threshold of second tier in those days and you could only use that so he was part of that two fifty k and we couldn't give him another cent you know so so yeah we had a lot of players you know Daniel Tupu come along that year so before Christmas Roger was training at left centre and Toops was on the wing Toops had never played first grade a year at at Newtown the year before um, come five games at twenties at Parramatta and. You know, so he was on one wing and then Christmas came and Janko bobbed up. And so Rog went to, to the wing with, with Toops. And, um, yeah, obviously Sonny had come in between and, and uh, Maloney had fallen in our laps earlier than that. So all of a sudden we went from uh, some missing links with all these good kids coming through to basically, you know, the, the finished product all just sort of clicked, clicked into place, you know, so... Yeah, that year was, yeah, Rogers on minimum wage, Toops was on minimum wage, Ice was playing there, you know, there was a few more, Dylan Knapp, Knapps came along and played some games that year and there was, there was a lot of people on some, you know, to balance the cap out, as you say. So to get a, to get a good team, you've got to have good young players coming through or, or getting under, undervalued players, second chance players from other teams. And, you know, we had both of that combined with some, yeah, you know, incredible top end players. So that was uh, that was a, that was a good squad, mate. It must be pretty amazing for you to be, you know, the guy that found Roger ten years ago, and now he's at the Warriors. You're there yourself, and he's the leader of that club. It must be, you know, a real sort of full circle moment for you. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, so had to you know, a couple of people I've changed, tried to recruit over the years, and you know, changed clubs to end up being with them. So yeah, Rog, you know, basically left to to come back to NZ and start his his life where his family had stayed in Australia. So it was a bit of the opposite, to be honest. So he'd come back to New Zealand to start his life with Ash and start a family. And, um, yeah, when I come over, it was, yeah, it's a good feeling. So no one, you know, always, when you recruit someone at a young age and they, they get to play first grade, you always have that special bond with them, you know. So I saw Joel Thompson on the weekend and the same sort of thing, you know. So you always have that bond. So, yeah, it's, and when you see them be successful in their life, all those guys, you know, not just footy. You know, you see you know, Roger is a dad and, you know, how he set himself up and his family, you know, it's uh, extremely satisfying. And as I said, to see the person he's turned into, the leader he is, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great feeling. Mate, you talk about that special bond when someone plays first grade. Obviously, your son, Sean O'Sullivan, he's now playing for Brisbane. He started at the Roosters. Obviously, being a recruitment manager yourself when he was younger, what did you see in Sean? Um, but he had a couple of recos when he was young. That was that was pretty tough when he was. He had one when he was ten and twelve. So, so he uh, and then you come back at fourteen. I saw on somebody the other day, and you know he, he was scared stiff. You know he was, uh, you know, as you would when you're fourteen years of age and had two recos, and he wouldn't run and he wouldn't tackle. And, you know, and I said, mate, come on, I said, you've got to get your get your coaching certificate and start coaching. And he said, I said, otherwise you. If you're going to play, you've got to play properly. So, And then he just got a little bit better, a little bit better at 14 and had a good year at 15 and then things sort of started clicking for him at 16. And he had a really good year in, when he was turning 17. He sort of played behind Nathan and Jerome in the SG ball team. He only got one game that year, but it was a really good year for him at Penrith. So he's actually a Penrith boy. And he got to train and play with those guys and, the game he played was really good. And then he took over next year and, and they won the SG ball the following year. So 
we beat Penrith the year before and and they'd won the next year. So as I was talking about, you know, that <clears throat> that coming through winning teams, you know, he was, he was lucky enough to play, you know, New South Wales 18s and 20s and Australian junior roos and all that, Australian schoolboys, all that sort of stuff. So he played in winning teams, you know. So he actually has that, he has that, you know, knows what winning's about and how to go about it. So, um, you know, things didn't have quite worked for him at the Bronx for a couple of things. He obviously had a another knee injury, which obviously took 12 months out of him. And I think when he was he played a game against Cronulla, he got four or five games in a row and, and by half time they were leading Cronulla. And it was clear that day to me that it's sort of, it's, it's clicked for him, you know, and people around him started to work out how they could play. And he's a player that uh, he best plays, he helps other people and shows, makes them look good, you know. So if he's got people around him moving, you know, it obviously aids the team. And that day he had a really good, and he did a hammy on half time at, uh, at Cronulla and didn't come the second half. And so again, that sort of set him back. And he come back in and had a couple of good games towards the end. And then they left him out for the semi when they got uh, tapped up. And and then he he did his knee that day playing for Brizzy North. So that was a bit of a setback. But you know, he, he'll be fine going into next year. You know, we get another good off-season under his belt. And said he, you know, he's, he's a very smart kid. You know, he knows his footy inside out. And, you know, like a decent recruiter one day uh, when his footy, footy's finished, that's for sure. Mate, I had um, Rowan Smith on my podcast earlier this year, obviously the coach of the North Devils that he was playing yep. at. And he just said that Sean's footy IQ is through the roof. Yeah, yeah. He's a smart kid. You know, he's... Boys, kids that grow up in footy dressing rooms from when they're, you know, he's grown up since he was a since he was a baby, you know. So, he's heard every Craig Bellamy spray. He's heard the, he's heard the lot, you know. So, he, he knows what works. And as I said, you know, he's just, uh, you know, he was privileged to have that sort of upbringing, you know. So, and some, you know, some wonderful coaches helped him as well. So, Row helped his game enormously. They always had a really good bond. When you know, Sean was probably, you know, ten or twelve hang around the dressing room when Roe was there. And, you know, he's a fantastic coach, Rowan, you know, fantastic coach of young players. So, so they had a good bond and, you know, that was that was a good part of his learning last year to get some, you know, Q Cup under his belt with a, some really good players and good sense of team. And, you know, they, they did well. So, so, you know, all those all those boys, you know, those coaches played a big part in his life, you know. And uh, Robbo went and watched him play for Penrith and, was pretty adamant that he wanted to take him to the Roosters, which I wasn't really overly keen on, you know, given that we had a, you know, I was there at that stage and as it worked out, I wasn't there anyway. So, so it didn't really matter, but, but, you know, he was, uh, he was a Robbo sort of player, you know, so I think Robbo's term was he, he knows how to play the long game, you know, so, so that was, you know, kick to corners, work him over, you know, you know, he understands that, that side of the game, you know, so as I said, things haven't quite worked for him. Yeah, but it's tough and, and keeps working. I'm pretty sure things will work out for him. It's somewhere at some stage. Has it been <laughs> difficult for you at all over the last six or seven years between having your father hat on and your like football recruiting hat on when it comes to Sean? Uh, not really. No, no, I'm pretty hard on him. So if uh, anyone will tell you, you know, that you know, probably his, his harshest, harshest critic, you know, so he's had a, got a couple of good sprays over the years off me. So, um, not, not too many because he hasn't really deserved them because he's a you know, he's a really good kid and works hard at his game. But you know, a couple of stages where I thought he might have been going off the rails, he got a he got a kick in the bum. So yeah, it was good to see that to have that side of it where you you're you're emotionally attached even more so than what you would when you you know when the when the, your player in your club. So yeah, it was it was it was good fun, you know, and to watch him achieve some of those goals was you know pretty special. Mate, the last big name on my recruitment list that you've uh, come across is, of course, Latrell Mitchell. Now, you spoke about Inglis earlier and the comparisons between those two. You know, we've just been hearing it for the last eight years now. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about when you first saw Latrell. Um, it was, yeah, it was, sometimes things just fall in your lap. Um, beautiful partner at the time, so um, she had a she had she had a work and a lady worked for her in in their office and um, and they asked me to go and watch her grandson played just said he was keen on his footy, but they wanted to get a realistic idea of whether he had a, a, a crack, you know? So it was, it was actually St. George versus Central Coast. Uh, Matt's was at my old stomping ground at Everett Park, which was Pennsylvania Cells home ground. And um, so I went down and Saturday morning and, you know, and uh, 
she was sort of uh, she was with me and so I got to watch warm up and she's sort of talking to me I said just quiet I just want to watch warm up and uh, which is I'm, I'm really big on I sort of looked at the kid and I thought uh, yeah he's not too bad you know and uh, and I saw this kid wearing number one going through the warm up and I went wow that was it so I just said I'm going to sign that kid you know they haven't kicked off yet I said I don't care you know so they kicked off I think I waited 10 or 15 minutes and he you know, it's just, just head and shoulders above anybody else out there, you know. So, yeah, she was pretty clear straight away. And he'd missed Newcastle's mats, their squad that year. I'm thinking, what are they looking at here? So, basically, and he went to the kids that basically didn't make Newcastle would go to the Central Coast and get a game. And, you know, they weren't a great squad, you know, because they were basically just the, the leftovers that Newcastle, you know, didn't want. Or, you know, Manly was strong on the Central Coast at that stage. And, He's just bobbed up, and you know this is a this is a gift from God, basically. So, so it took a little bit of doing. Um, they played a New South Wales 16 sort of um, possible problems game, and they're running late because they'd come down from from Melbourne. They're running late, and I thought, please be late, don't miss the game, you know. So because once they see him play, everyone will sort of know how good he is. And uh, he got there late, and he had a carry there that sort of 70, 80 metres, and probably. It, I mean, it was still pretty clear, but it probably didn't sort of blow everyone out of the water. And I was thinking, that's good, that's good. And sort of worked pretty hard, built a relationship with his mum and dad and himself. And, you know, we got the deal done pretty quick. So so he's, um, yeah, he was, you know, clearly, you know, a little different to Greg, you know. Everyone can obviously see the similarities, but, you know, the trail's the trail and Greg's Greg. So, so that... Uh, player and you know some of the things he did coming through in 18s and 20s and you know, I talked about that SG ball team that won the comp you know he was I think he scored two tries in the last minutes to Paul Monrovsky Paul kicked the goal and you know Connor was in that team so you know I was, as I said I'm big on building those teams and that's the core of it that comes through and, and wins comp for, for first grade down the track you know so uh, yeah that was that was yeah a special young team and he was certainly the most special Peter, you said you were willing to sign him when you saw him warming up. What did you see in that warm-up that stood out to you? I'm big on balance, you know, and just, just the way they move, you know. So, obviously, you know, you've got to have more. There's lots of kids with balance who are not tough enough. And, you know, but if you have that, you know, the, it's like the you know the good horse that walks around the parade ring and everyone goes, wow, have a look at that, you know. So, if you've got an eye for footy you know, and everyone thinks they have, but not too many actually have, you know, you can see it pretty clearly, you know, so. He was just the, yeah. He was the, he was the Dane Hill of the, of the yard. You know, he just stood out like, like a beacon. Mate, we mentioned four about you know the salary cap scandal about that, and like life hasn't yep. always been easy. And obviously, you know, you were rubbed out of the game there for a few years, and you know, yep. anyone can type that up on Google and see the story and whatever. But on a personal note, how did you deal with that? Oh, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, and that was a really dark period of my life. You know, so you know, but I came out the other side, and you know, there was. Like I said before, you find out who your, who your real friends are. And certainly, you know, what you talked about there, like Nathan was, you know, really good through that period for me. Uh, uh, Jonah Brent Reed, um, good good mates with, you know, he was, he ranked most days, you know, uh, two mates, you know, Chris Johns and Anthony Barnes, who was the who's the 20s coach and 18s coach at Saints, you know, some people around me like that who were, who were phenomenal for me and sort of got me through that period. And, you know, so, yeah, angry about it, lots of that, and, um, you know, disillusioned about that's that part of it. But, you know, I did, you know, obviously would do things differently. Certainly got an apology off some people that were involved in it uh, from a governing body's point of view, but not probably not the people I wanted to. So, you know, in essence, you know, I was guilty of sort of being around the wrong people that they didn't like, you know, whether that's a crime or, but it's still it's something I shouldn't have done. So, so you know, um, but I learned a lot from that, that period of my life and, you know, I said, uh, I think I said, you know, in a concrete truck at 6am in the morning full of concrete bags sort of helps you realise you know, how much you love footy and how much you miss it. So, you know, I was very, very grateful to be back doing what I do and, and doing what I love. So, so yeah, I just sort of basically just had a mindset of just put that in the past and leave it there and park it and, you know, get on with, with um, what I love doing. Mate, was there mornings on the hard labour that you spoke about there where you thought that, you know, your footballing um, career as far as recruitment could have been over? Well, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely was, yeah. So, yeah, I said there was some 
there's some dim dark days there and different stages. I had a <clears throat> had a bad car accident through that period as well. I was laid up for three or four months, you know, so I was yeah, it was some dark days there, that's for sure. Mate, the last guy I want to ask you about, um, you know, we, we've already spoken about Sean, your beautiful daughter, Jess. She's she's with Matt Lodge, and Matt Lodge has been a guy that in rugby league circles, obviously, he's been quite polarising over the last few years. He's obviously made his mistakes. He's come out the other side now. Tell me, like, the, the man that you know, the father and the husband, Matt Lodge, tell us about him. Yeah, he's, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. I tried to take Lodge to the roost just when I was there, and... Um, I'll go back and tell a good story. Um, he played for the Tigers, and um, you know, I, I think he, Matt, would appreciate that. You know, he had probably had a bit of a, you know, fair bit of swagger about him in those days, and wanted to be the tough man and etc. And um, younger brother Jack was in the box with our, our Adam Hardigan, our coach, who was catching twenties that day, and I didn't know. And um, and Paul Momorowski was taking a shot at goal from the sideline and Matt had got replaced and I remember the first thing I said when they replaced I said thank god they replaced him you know because he was he was tearing us apart anyway he walked in between uh, Paulie and the ball as he was kicking just about ready to kick he walked in between them you know like uh, arrogant you know so I wouldn't say that's why they ever play for this club <laughs> and everyone's sort of looking at me I'm just looking at him, like and uh his, his little brother Jack was sitting in the box so it was uh it was in years years ago years go why you know we have a good laugh about it now so and then obviously he went through the troubles he did I remember when Jess you know put me out for dinner and she said oh I'm seeing a friend I said oh why didn't you bring your friend for dinner and she said oh you know him and I said well if I know him why didn't you bring him for dinner and said it's Matt Lodge and I went oh oh you know so she said he's a good guy dad as long as he's off the drink and he's a really good person I said well I trust you honey so was uh, that was it, and and you know, and then he was he was a difficult guy to get to know, to be honest. Uh, guarded, I think that was always his personality, even before sort of the the trouble had hit. So uh, fairly guarded, but yeah, as the years had gone on, and got to know him well, and I'm looking forward to seeing him in a couple hours with the two babies. I'm really looking forward to that, and you know, he's he's a fantastic partner to Jess, and he's um, incredible dad. So. Very proud of me. Mate, I think the thing that stood out for me for Matt Lodge this year, I remember him doing an interview at the start of the year when it was all really going to shit for the Broncos and they were getting yep. some hard questions and, and, and you could see that a media manager was trying to pull him away from the interview and he sort of said, like, no, I've got this sort of, I'm going to answer the tough questions. I imagine it's been a hard year for him, but he has been a leader up there. Yeah, no, no, he's been good. Obviously, you know, they, they tried to rush him back before he was ready to play the first game. And, you know, and um, as, I said, as you said, you know, he's, he made trying to wind it up. He said, no, we're not running from questions here. And, and um, but, you know, things just compounded and compounded, you know. And he's probably at the stage of his footy career where he's probably taken on a bit of that when he's actually not ready for it either. You know, he needs to just get his, his own game uh, right, you know. So, you know, I sort of said to him after that, I said, you know, you just, you just got to get back to your rehab and, sort of try not to take the weight of the world on your shoulders here. You know, the best thing you can do for your footy team is get right and get out on the field. And that didn't eventuate either. So obviously had another little crack on the top of his um, uh, fibia. Uh, so, so it was a sort of disastrous year for him. And so sort of, I think he felt a fair bit of pressure, you know, in the off season, whether he's going to be captain or not captain, and etc. cetera. So, so I think, you know, people were looking for, for leaders and, you know, he was sort of trying to do his best to hang on, but I think in the end it was it was a, it was a tough year and probably something that he's probably not quite ready for. And I just think if he, you know, just concentrate on his own game, get himself right, and all that leadership, and, and um, we'll, we'll come to him in a matter of time. And you know, because he is he's certainly you know well thought of in that footy club. He's got a great footy IQ, really intelligent with his footy, and a, a really good guy. So yeah. He's, uh, he's a credit to himself and, and I'm yeah, very proud of him. Mate, you mentioned there it's been a tough year for him. I imagine it's been a tough year for yourself in the bubble, away from family, dealing with everything with the Warriors. You know, obviously, I, I just want to say thank you to, you know, the Warriors club, what they've done this year, and especially your role that you've played in it. Everyone in that club has had to play a role in essentially keeping rugby league alive this year. What you've done has been sensational. Yeah, yeah, as I said, uh, they're coming down in the next couple of hours. So I haven't seen them for six months. So. That'll be fantastic, mate. I uh, I hope you have a great afternoon with the family, mate. You definitely deserve it. Thank you. Appreciate it.
Enjoy your time. Good Thanks on. for your time, Peter. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.